My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Lynn Adamson, Duan Afzal, and Rita Bijan. One key aspect of the multifaceted ecological crisis that human activity has triggered on the planet is climate change. Even as it is necessary to constantly fend off the ridiculous rhetoric of those who willfully deny the evidence, whether because of political allegiances or because of the lavish and skillfully channeled funding from the fossil fuel industries, there is also a lack of clear consensus among those who don't deny this terrifying reality about how to mobilize to actually make the change that the world needs. In 2012, a group of people, many informed by their faith, decided to engage in what might be called an act of prophetic witness, and they chose to fast for the climate on Parliament Hill. It was in the months after the 2013 version of this event that such an approach to action attained global resonance. The COP19 conference, that stands for Conference of the Parties, the annual meeting of signatories to the Kyoto Climate Protocol, started just one day after Super Typhoon Haiyan, also known as Yolanda, devastated the Philippines. In grief and in solidarity with his home half a world away, and in recognition of the connection between the increasing frequency of extreme weather events and human-caused climate change, the Philippine representative at the conference, Yeb Sanyo, publicly and boldly proclaimed his intent to fast while he was there, and many others joined him. With a new format and more links here and around the world, Climate Fast here in Canada is committed to building on this example and continuing its witness as one element of building a mass movement. Adamson, Afzal, and Bijan talk with me about the origins of Climate Fast, its actions so far, and where it plans to take the struggle in the year ahead. I spoke with them by Skype to phone from Toronto. I'm Lynn Adamson, and I'm a Quaker, and I'm very, very concerned about what's happening with our climate. It seems to be the most critical issue of our time. I've worked most of my life on the issues of peace and the environment, and just at this time, I'm choosing to focus on the climate crisis because I think we've got to find a solution to that one in order to continue to make progress in all the other ways. And I'm part of three climate action groups as well as the Canadian Voice of Women for Peace and the Quaker Meeting. And in my day job, I'm a conflict resolution staff person with St. Stephen's Community House in Toronto. My name is Rita Bijan. I'm a retired teacher who, during the, the many years that I taught, always believed that my uh, students, the young children that I was teaching, had a bright future ahead of them. And the year that I retired, it was our son who, uh, at the age of 14, first asked for the book, The Weathermakers, and because he read it and handed it to me and said, Mama, you have to read this. I, of course, said yes. And that was really a turning point for me in terms of opening my eyes and understanding that the lifetime that I had lived up until that point, that I had lived some kind of illusion. And through reading The Weathermakers, I could see that much bigger forces were at work 
and that humans have so altered Earth systems that we've put ourselves and our companion species in peril. So from the time that I read that book, I would say I've become a climate activist. Now I'm involved with about three or four different climate groups here in Toronto and to some extent doing some work at the national level as well. My name is Dewan Afzal. I'm retired from FedEx. I live in Mississauga. I'm originally from Bangladesh. So climate, of course, affecting Bangladesh and is well known that one third of Bangladesh go underwater. So in 2008, with help of Rita and other people, we walked from Toronto to Ottawa for climate justice. In 2012, with help of Lynn and Rita and others, we did our 12 days fast in front of Ottawa. So climate, very close to my heart, and, you know, is affecting countries like Bangladesh, Philippines, and we want to do something so that our children and grandchildren' future is not ruined. So this is why I'm involved here. We all somehow knew one another, but it probably came more out of Toronto climate campaign. We, for a number of years, held either debriefs after the conference of the parties or on the Saturday, right in the middle of the Conference of the Parties, that the uh, Global Campaign for Climate Action Worldwide would call for demonstrations, rallies, events to mark and raise consciousness of the Conference of the Parties. So I'm thinking it was it was the Conference of the Parties that took place in Durban. We had another indoor rally and Skype-in of people who were present in Durban and giving on-the-ground reports as to what was happening there. And Duan, do you want to speak about that rally that we had? Yeah, after Durban, I think in Ryerson University, we had a meeting in the morning and they asked us, you know, speak. So I was asked and I stood up and I said, we like to organize a fast in front of the parliament. And this is like a successful fasting by Mahatma Gandhi, non-violence way. And this is to protest on behalf of Mother Earth. And best way of doing it, if we deny ourselves solid food. So this is the start. Then, of course, later on, I think, Lean and other joined. And with their help, we did 2012 fast. So, Scott, the reason why we did the fast was because of Duan's inspiration. And Gandhi had fasted for the things he was concerned about. Gandhi can fast, then we can fast. And we thought, well, this is a new idea. It's a different idea. It reflects the seriousness that we feel towards this. Fasting invites people to go to a serious internal and moral place. And we felt like that would be a witness that could draw people to this issue in a new way. And so we went ahead with the fast, which was a fast and not a hunger strike. It didn't have specific demands that must take place before we stopped. But we did 12 days of fasting on Parliament Hill in 2012, and that was from the International Day of Peace on September 21st until October 2nd, which is Gandhi's birthday and the International Day of Nonviolence. 
I guess our slogan became Hungry for Climate Leadership. We were able to make a very big banner, 22 feet long, and bring that banner to Parliament Hill. On one side, it read Hungry for Climate Leadership, and on the other side, Hungry for Climate Justice. We were able to build a 2012 presence on Parliament Hill. Over time, a network of actually quite a, a, a variety of people. I guess to me, the most moving thing was beginning the day and ending the day on the Hill with smudging and just pulling our hearts and minds together to focus on what it is that we were doing. That first year, the first and last nights were candlelight vigil, which were very powerful, especially the last night. We had hundreds of people come from the Ottawa area and a large Indigenous participation and singing and dancing, and it was a really a moving experience. And during that 12 days of fasting, we spoke to a lot of politicians, and we had a pledge board inviting MPs to sign their support for three really critical changes that our government can make. There are lots of things we can do as individuals. There are many things that can only be changed with government action. So the three things we were calling for, and we are still calling for, are an end to fossil fuel subsidies, which are right now around $1.3 billion a year, and a price on carbon. And there are different ideas about what that mechanism could be, but that we need to price carbon as a basic principle. And the third is that we need a renewable energy plan for Canada. People are surprised to learn that we don't have any energy plan for Canada, let alone a renewable energy plan for Canada. And yet these plans are being created other places in the world, and we're not doing it. So there are three simple things and critical things that the members of Parliament could make happen. And so between 2012 and 2013, we have the support of 116 of the 308 MPs. They have signed this pledge that they will work in Parliament for those changes. So we really see that the way to make a difference is not 12 individuals fasting on Parliament Hill, but it's a mass movement across the country. And it will only happen if the public gets involved because the fossil fuel companies are very powerful lobbyists. They have a lot of money. They put out fantastic ads, giving only their point of view. And unless we, the people, stand up and say, no, we don't want the planet's future to be unlivable, we don't want that. We want to stay inside this carbon budget, and we want immediate action. And we're willing to do things ourselves, and we expect our government to act as well. And we really are very excited to be part of this new campaign this year that will be fasting on the first of the month, every month, and that will be together with international fasters. And this is in response to Yeb Sanyo, the Philippine negotiator, who was so frustrated that there was no progress being made at the climate talks in Warsaw in the fall, that he fasted for 13 days during that. I think we have to try to think back what happened around the time of COP19, the 19th Mm -hmm. Conference of the Parties in Warsaw, just days before that conference began last November, the Philippines were hit by the super typhoon Haiyan, or as the Filipinos call it, Yolanda. And Yab Sanyo, the chief negotiator for the Philippines, of course, had the duty to be present at the Conference of the Parties, and that's where he was. So he must have come, you know, in the days before the conference began, and yet there he was 
and Warsaw hearing about the super typhoon arriving and devastating the Philippines. In fact, the epicenter of the super typhoon was at his village, Tacloban. So there he was, thousands of kilometers away, and not knowing whether people in his own family and his friends were alive or dead. So he, at the first plenary session, spoke about what was happening in the Philippines. And so it's not strictly frustration. It was profound anxiety, concern, compassion for what was happening back home. And there was no other thing he could say than to passionately call upon this gathering of international representatives to put everything that they can into negotiating an international agreement that would lead to the necessary drastic reduction of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide that would allow for the least damage to our climate. We're feeling the damage to our climate already. And we know through what the science tells us about how long these greenhouse gas emissions remain in the air. And we're seeing more and more extreme weather events than ever before already. So we have to do what we can to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. That was what he called for in a very respectful manner. He announced that he, acknowledging that his own countrymen and countrywomen had been without food and were desperately looking for their relatives and the chaos and the super typhoon, in solidarity with his fellow Filipinos, he committed to fasting for the climate. And what happened was over 100 other people present at the Conference of the Parties heard his speech and committed to fasting with him. And as people around the world heard the speech as well, read the transcripts of the speech, people around the world also stood in solidarity and fasted for the duration of the Conference of the Parties. So that was about 12, 14 days, I guess. What happened out of that was that youth groups that were present at the COP19, faith groups that were present at COP19, environmental groups that were present at COP19, could see by the end of COP19 that the necessary changes, the necessary agreement, international agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions adequately was not in place, nor were the mechanisms for compensation for the kinds of damage that countries were suffering from the climate destabilization. So these youth groups and faith groups and environmental groups continued to meet and committed to continuing the fast in the format of the first day of the month, monthly, in the countdown all through 2014, in the countdown to the next conference of the parties, which will be in Lima, Peru, and also then in the follow-up and the month in 2015 and leading up to the following Conference of the Parties, which will be in Paris in 2015. I'd like to hear a little bit more about fasting as the choice of action and I think more generally uh, witnessing as an approach to action. What's your sense of how fasting and witnessing act in the world to create change, to promote change? I found it to be a very powerful action, the 12 days that we spent in Parliament Hill the first year, and then, of course, we were back in 2013 as well. But in the first year, the politicians were there, and they came past our 
witness every day and we spoke to a number of them right up front. We had our pledge board there for them to sign. And I think it creates a challenge, it's a moral challenge. It says we are here because we're so concerned and we're actually fasting for these 12 days. In that case, we are fasting all 12 days together. Now it will be the first of every month and then we're going to Ottawa in September for five days. But the message is we are deeply concerned. There's something about the depth of that message that reaches people without having to do an illegal action, which certainly that can make a powerful witness. And some of us have participated in those kinds of civil disobedience actions as well. But this is an action everyone everywhere can take part in. And I think it's powerful because we're so used to taking our comfort for granted and our food for granted, our meals every day. And yet, with what we're doing to the climate, we are going to be impoverishing. We're already impoverishing millions of people. Many people are starving and cannot eat as a result of drought, as a result of flooding. That is a result of our excessive use of carbon. So those of us in the emitting countries, and Canada is a very big emitter, we need to make the link between our habit and other people's suffering. And I think that the fast witness does that and being there in person. It does that. It sends a powerful message. Climate change has already affected Bangladesh. Some of the coastal area, the saline water is coming in. And of course, rice paddy is the main agriculture food. So it's not growing. And I think in India and Pakistan, drought is also causing harm to the farmland. So people are already starving. So people who cannot produce, you know, rice paddy or other agricultural food, they're already starving. Some of them are starving. So this is the way of fasting to show solidarity with people who are already suffering. And this is, I think, a strong message. Then also symbolic. We are doing the fasting voluntarily, but other people are already forced to deprive themselves of food. So this is why I think it's a good way of protesting. So one of the things that I think often comes up when people are trying to organize around climate change is that it's just so massive and so overwhelming that lots of people hear about it. And it's not that they don't believe it, but because it's so overwhelming, that can be kind of immobilizing in some ways, because it's such a huge problem, that in itself can make it hard to get people to engage actively. When you're talking about the issue with politicians, with people in your communities, what do you do to try and counteract that? There's a poem by Rabindranath Tagore. He's a well-known poet. And his poem says, If the answer not to thy call, walk alone. So I said, we have to... In this kind of action, if nobody's hearing the call, then we as individuals, we don't wait for anybody. We come forward. We know it's overwhelming, but we must act and act now, what I tell people. I would say that we offer people a way to take some simple actions that can make a difference. I think the fear starts to diminish when you actually take action and actually it gives young people hope. I really think about the young people in our community who are facing the longer future with the reality of climate change. 
and that we can't abandon them to that without our getting involved and taking the actions that we can. So there are some simple actions like contacting your member of parliament, writing a letter, holding an event in your community, talking to family and friends, and just saying, here's the reality, we need to do something and we can do something. Imagine if we took that money that's now being subsidized for the, the fossil fuel industry and we used it for the transition to renewables. Mark Jacobson of Stanford University has done a study showing that it's completely doable for the entire world to get all our energy that we want from renewables within the next 30 years that we can transition over. And we should be cutting down our carbon use by at least 6% every year. We haven't started that decline yet in terms of fossil fuel use. And that's what we have to do. We have to get that decline going and we have to get the renewable transition happening. So to do that, we need the planning and we need to change the financial structures. We need to have a price on carbon. And right now, politicians are scared to do that because they think people will just say they don't want to pay more for their energy. And I think if people say we are willing to pay a little bit more in order to preserve our planet for our children and grandchildren to enjoy, that is a powerful statement. And as I say, if we transferred subsidies we're paying right now to fossil fuel industries, and if we made them pay the actual cost of the carbon, if we transition those costs, then it's not really so much of a personal expense. It's much more of just a shift in our economy, and we need to make that happen. I think the challenge is it's something that we have to make happen collectively. And I think the reality is we can make it happen collectively with bunch of small actions by thousands and thousands of people across the country. And that, to me, is doable. So let's get that going. It's kind of a invitation to make this action go viral, in a sense, right across the country. Do some simple things in your personal life, you know, reduce your carbon footprint, and also in your political life, let your MP, and as, as we've said, there's a lot that can be done locally, so your city councilors too, know that you care about this issue because they do take their actions based in part, at least on what their constituents are saying to them. So we can make a difference. When I hear your question, I hear you saying that it is terribly overwhelming, and I personally can find it very frightening if I allow my mind to go to the darkest corners of what the science is showing us. But I think it's very important at the local level to, number one, for me, to link up with other people that do understand, they're willing to talk about it, they're willing to do what they can to take action on it. I'm inspired by something, I guess, that years ago I read a book by Chris Turner, The Geography of Hope. And in that, one of the phrases that I remember was, whatever is, is possible. So Chris Turner spent about a year and a half traveling around the world and going to places where communities were making the transition to other forms of energy rather than fossil fuels. He visited the communities where People were switching over to, you know, I don't know, wind power, geothermal, using human ingenuity, imagination to bring about the alternative forms of energy that we need and conservation. So I would say at a very local level, start with your own carbon footprint and determine what it is first. Shock yourself with how much energy we have come to use per capita here in Canada and look at ways to rein it in. 
and work with other people in your community to do everything you can. You know, local food, bike, don't don't have a, a car when it's totally unnecessary, get community gardens going. Whatever institutions you're associated with, get on the committees and make sure that, you know, like all the basic, the low-hanging fruit, switch over the lighting system, switch over the heating system, insulate. I'm thinking of churches that are often very old buildings with no insulation. I mean, everything that we can do, we have to we have to stop and become conscious of the profligate energy use that we engage in here, particularly in North America. And again, to come back to Chris Turner's thinking, you know, there are leaps that have to be made in every part of our life. Just think about what we're doing and how we're doing it and how we must find more efficient ways of using energy and I would say demonstrating compassion. Think about what's happening around the planet and that it does not have to be this way. Get involved mm. locally. Find a group in your area. Is it is it a you know a local environmental group? Is it a community wide, city wide, town wide? Whatever. Connect with people and do some introspection. Do some community building. Find out what's happening in your community. Get involved. See where you fit in. Your mental health will be better. Your sense of hope for the future, the kind of future that you want for your kids, for your, if you don't have kids, your nephews, your nieces, whatever. If you love nature and you go for hikes in the bush and you love to hear songbirds, I think this is what we're trying to protect to whatever extent we can, the integrity of the ecosystems and all those things that give us joy, that touch our souls and make life worth living. This is what we're fighting for right now. So you've talked about the kinds of actions that Climate Fast will be doing over the next year, the fast on the first of the month and the longer one in Ottawa in September. Just as we kind of wind down here, tell me a bit more about how you plan to build those things, to promote them and get more people involved with them. Right now, we have a list of people who have signed online. Most of them have written letters to their MPs and gotten involved in some other way in the last two years. So we have that contact list. And we also have a great many organizations that have given us sponsorship. At least 60 organizations have said we sponsor and support the work that you're doing. And so we ask those organizations to spread the word among their members to get involved. So, for example, Council of Canadians are willing to let their members know about what's happening with the Climate Fast as an outreach. So outreaching through the supporting organizations is one route. Going on the radio like we're doing right now is another route. And uh, we will be sending regular newsletters out to people who've indicated their support. And what we want to do is really encourage people to do things locally as well. You have been listening to my interview with Lynn Adamson, Duan Afzal, and Rita Bijan of Climate Fast. To find out more about their work, go to climatefast.ca. That's all one word, climatefast.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 